0: a whole in the rose gold
1: so grill i think grills came out in like 2006 or something like that and my main memory that was like the unofficial soundtrack to the, uh, probably
0: 05 right because was senior year and we were about to graduate yeah like these were pretty awesome that was my
1: <laughs> main memory of the uh, BPA Orlando uh trip was the official soundtrack. I mean I are collectively state champions.
0: We are, yeah. Really?
1: <laughs> to this day, the greatest honor that I've ever achieved. Uh anyway, yeah, we're sitting here with uh Chris McCall. Um Chris, how, how would you introduce yourself?
0: Just a regular guy. Just a regular guy. <laughs> regular. Chris, is,
1: Chris is someone who I knew uh back in uh the Gianfranco Grande days, as I call him. The Grande old days. Now, we I knew Chris uh going back to like kindergarten, first grade, or something like that, yeah, I mean probably carpooled. uh yeah, especially except for the time that I got lost uh dry, driving to a this one of my first times in a, like driving by myself in a car and I completely got lost on the north side and uh I had to call your mom to tell her that I was not gonna be able to pick you up because i was I had no idea where I was I was on like two e and this is Niles. this is pre gps yeah so. yeah yeah again she was she, she was pretty yeah, pissed at simpler me. simpler time. But, So so,
2: so I had to walk six blocks to work. Like, (laughs) like, like, Um, I went to Chicago for the first time. Oh no, a second time, but first time as an adult last um, last summer. I went to Wrigley Field. I ate the deep dish pizza. What else did I do? Saw an improv show. It was it was August or late July. I was like, man, this place is humid. It was nine a.m. and I was sweating, and I've never been sweating at nine a.m. That, and I'm not a person; I don't sweat that that easily. So it was kind of like unreal. It, you, it, winter is winter, and
1: summer is like really nice, actually. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, anyway, all right. So uh, after uh, after high school, uh, Chris and I went our separate ways. I went to Fordham to learn along with uh, Long Island's finest, um, like car dealership scions, and like. <laughs> Guys from, from Westchester mm-hmm. um, and Chris went further up the Hudson to West Point. And uh, is that the moment that you enlist? Like, do you actually enlist when you go to West Point?
0: So your first day, you sign your commitment, you take an oath to the Constitution, and at that point, you are on active duty in the United States military. So that first day for me was... Um, June 6th, June 26th, 2006. Oh, June 6th would have been good though. That's yeah, that would have been yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we were still doing uh, graduation parties June 6th. I think <laughs> I don't think we graduated until June 11th or 12th and then, yeah, two weeks later my head was shaved and I'm Jesus Christ. being yelled at. So they <laughs> Did you have to get yourself there to like pay for your flight? They, you get yourself there. Um, I went with my brother and my mom, and they uh, after that, they just dropped us off. Um, you have 60 seconds to say goodbye to your loved one. My mom yeah. cried, my brother thought she was being silly. <laughs> um, shook my hand, and then I uh, headed out into yeah. the
1: army. Yeah, I mean, like that was the and then I think the next time I saw you, it must have been in like uh, what like 2014 or something like that when did you when did you discharge 2015
0: so yeah so i got out of the army um in 2015
1: so what i guess the, the place to start is like so you you join the military as you join the army you're in fucking west point as an 18 year old kid yep and like when i think about um like formative experiences i've had um you know college was kind of one but not really i mean it was mostly just like
2: honey you met me
1: I met you, but I met like, <laughs> if that's mean, the most formative experience in your life. Yeah, I but the job we were doing was, dry, did you have a job in college? So we got paid to go to school. You get paid to you go, go to, to school? We get
0: $400, like $100, 200 $300, $400 dollars per month, um, depending on what year you are. You technically get paid the same, but they take more of it out um, depending on how far along you are. Um, so you're trading every. Just about every weekend um, whether it's academic training or athletic training or what um, so you're paid your school's paid for so you, you basically break even isn't that, isn't
2: that a big thing that like a lot of guys bank the, at like military academies, particularly West Point, bank their pay, but you're not allowed to have a car until junior or senior year. But then everyone shows up junior year with like a serious whip. Like Ju- so, junior year after spring break, yeah. you're allowed to have a car, and then everyone's uh. got everyone's got like a brand spanking new. Or is is that what it, a rumor I heard? Yeah, no, <laughs> like
0: it's it's not that's not wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, it, also, a lot of the guys come from money too, so yeah, um, you know, it, it really depends. Um, but th- that's not um, only so. You There's a big loan that um, the cadets get from USAA or Navy Federal Credit Union. Right. It's basically $30,000. They call it a career starter loan. Yeah. It's basically $30,000 at 1% interest or yeah. something. Oh, yeah. Free um, money effectively yes, yes. <laughs> um, and it's a safe bet for USAA because you have guaranteed paychecks for the next five years and you're, also, um, you're not going anywhere yeah <laughs> they know where they you will are. find you yeah. Yeah, yeah except there's one cadet that went missing um, seriously <laughs> really? and this is one of the most incredible stories ever and it's worth like reading into later but a guy basically disappeared during the '60s, and he's still never been found. And really? there's like questions if he joined the French Foreign Legion, with a which another like 2007 West Point grad did. Oh, really? Um, that's another incredible story. He um, was stationed in Fort Drum um, uh, in New York, uh, right outside Watertown, and he went AWOL, and they yeah. couldn't find him. And this guy's like three years older than I am, and they're like, "Oh, he's such a coward. He doesn't want to deploy." And then it turns out that he had joined the Legion, had fought in like four separate campaigns in Libya, had won battle, won honors for his bravery. Uh. And then he came back and he got arrested in the U.S. for <laughs> <laughs> you're a coward. Yeah. Um, so that's but, not wrong,
1: though. I mean, like if you joined this service, you got to fight in this one, right? Yeah, no,
0: of, of course. And what he did was wrong. Um, he, he had some psychological issues that you're dealing with. Um, I feel
2: like if you join the French Foreign Legion at any point, you have to have some kind of psychological... I mean, like, you have to be a little bit of a, like, crazy person to do it. Like, I don't know. Like, part of me kind of wishes, like, everything
1: I, goes wrong for me so that I have to, like, that's the last option that I have. Hey,
2: Lenny, you're, like, you're pretty far low on their recruiting list. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like... The, I would that like really is, joining, is there any anyone age? that can just join?
1: I thought like, like
0: You have to, like... They go through their training, but like they'll like assess anybody, and that's what's oh, really? amazing about it. You
1: can, yeah, you can be like needing a new identity after having been like a murderer. And they'll take, they'll take They'll yeah. take you. Yeah. Are Funny. they? Do they actually do dangerous things? Yeah, they, they fought in Libya. Libya. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um,
0: have you guys ever been up there? Have you been?
1: I actually was at West Point once. Okay. Yeah, when, I, what did you go for? So the job that me and Brian met for, which I bet is gnarlier than anything you did in college, yeah. um, is uh, driving a the Ram Van. <laughs> yeah, the Ram I Van. still
0: tell. I love this story. Yeah, everyone loves the
2: name
1: the Ram Van. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, there was a. Um, I went up to West Point one time because there was a uh, in uh, the Ram Van. <laughs> in a, yeah, you know, I, I was driving it. I, <laughs> I drove the Ram Van to, to West Point. And I had to get bring like my passport and shit to get clearance, and uh, there was some sort of. Um, uh, hacking like a uh, competition going on between the military academies. cool. So that the the Pentagon basically set up a thing that um, was trying to hack each of these each of the military academies. and the this group of guys that I was watching was like a room full of guys that had not slept in like three days. They were yep. trying to ward off the attack, sure from like the yeah. And so this was a competition between the academies. And so there was people at the school that were like invited to go like observe it. And so I got to walk around a little bit. I didn't really see anything. Like, I saw that room, which was was incredibly impressive, but um, just walked around the grounds a little bit. It was, yeah, I mean, like, it's a place, you know, like, I feel like in, uh, every time I'm in Washington, I kind of feel like, man, wouldn't it be cool to actually have legitimate access to the grandeur of all this you know like uh, are you talking about dc or seattle because it's a different kind of grandeur it's about Mount Rain, yeah. 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 sure i mean what was it like going to college there like was it i mean it obviously probably wasn't that fun but like does it instill like you replace fun with purpose or like <laughs> like,
0: what, like what is fun <laughs> you know um like some of the fun and funniest times that i ever had were freshman and sophomore year when you're just stuck there um it was weird. Um, freshman year, you're not allowed to listen to music, you're not allowed to watch movies. Um, there you are you we weren't supposed to be on Facebook, et cetera. It's very limited. Um, you're not allowed to talk outside of your room. Um, you basically your classroom and your your barracks room, and that's the only time you can speak, which hmm. Lenny knows was probably the most difficult thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> um but it's you know it forms discipline, but really what it does is forms friendships. Um and it's uh very um, interesting group of, of people that West Point attracts. Um, there is you know, like ultimate diversity because you have people from every state because of the nomination process. You have a lot of international cadets. We had we had the first Iraqi cadet. We had um, cadets from Sri Lanka, from Rwanda, um, that their countries have paid the U.S. government to put them through four years of these elite academies and they go back and serve in their own armies okay. and their leaders. We've had West Point's had three presidents in the United States. Can you name them?
1: Yeah. Uh, Eisenhower. Yep. Grant.
0: Um, yep, from Illinois. The uh, third one's a little tricky.
1: Give me a hint. He
0: wasn't a United States president. <laughs> Robert,
1: um yeah, Robert E. Lee. No, he wasn't president. He was the <laughs> well, he was president of something. Jefferson, Jefferson Davis. Exactly. Oh, right. Jefferson Davis. Yeah, yeah sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah,
0: so, and that's something else that's interesting is that in the Civil War, there were 60 major battles. Yeah. And 55 of them were commanded by West Pointers on both sides. Yeah. And the other five had a West Pointer on one side, so there wasn't a major battle uh, in which a, a West Point um, commanding officer wasn't involved.
2: It, it wasn't. It's true also that it seems like most most of the more talented are guys who are from a more strict military tradition, like Robert E. Lee, who's you know whose father was also a Revolutionary War guy and had a long already had an established legacy. I think with West Point, I think like West Point, or if I know that correctly, but like it seemed like a lot of the Confederate generals were the guys who were further up in the class or high, higher ranked in the class or the, the, well, like that's I, the that's the lore maybe but uh yeah i know that Pickett was the goat in oh, yeah, his class the, yeah, which yeah.
0: means last um <laughs> the not the, the greatest of all time um but he was truly last in his class it's like it's a that's another fun tradition that on graduation uh morning every uh Every um, cadet at graduating in my class I was at 103 after starting with 1310. Um, there's 103 cadets that graduated, and everybody gives a dollar. So the goat. Um, gets, ends <laughs> up with basically a thousand bucks um, but there's a lot of math that goes into it and how close you can get to failing um, with still graduating Right. Yeah. and, we're, and to, like the yeah. bottom four or five kids like don't know if they're graduating until that morning because they're <laughs> so close and it's, it's the ultimate gamble, how, how do I, you know finish and but not end up second to last um because then i'm just an idiot yeah yeah. so and then after um, so
1: after you get out then um do you because you became then a ranger what is the process of that like take me through
0: that so when i graduated and when all my classmates graduated we graduated and then about three hours later we commissioned in the united states army um and that was um so as second lieutenants in the army which is the lowest officer rank um, and this might be a little bit out of date because they they changed it up. This is how it worked in 2010. Um, you um, pick your branch selection um, during senior year. I picked infantry, uh, which is a lot easier than cyber. You just have to you know <laughs> run around with heavy stuff on your back and shoot <laughs> guns. Um, after that, I did airborne school um, where you do five jumps and you're certified with your airborne wings. And then I um, went to um, Fort um, brag, um, to join the 82nd. I did, um, a, a pre-ranger course there as preparation and went back to Fort Benning um, for ranger school. Is it,
1: uh, you your part of the 82nd airborne? Yep. Is it more difficult to get into like famous divisions? So it is, um, is yeah. it a division? It is a division.
0: The 82nd Airborne Division, yeah. the 101st Airborne Division.
2: Those are the only two. Air, are those the only two airborne? Ones? So
0: <laughs> there's only one. It's 82nd. Sorry, foul committed on my yeah, part. No, so the, the 101st um, Airborne Division is actually 101st Airborne Air Assault. So they do helicopter um, landings, etc., um, air assault operations, and they're waiting until the last. Um, veteran who jumped into normandy passes away and then they'll officially become the 101st air assault division oh, nice. um so they they don't do um the the airborne jumps on the scale or you know, really the way 82nd does at all um the only other air, true airborne units are um uh, brigades one in italy in vincenza and one
1: in alaska yeah. that guy must be a god to them
0: yeah, yeah there's there's the a 101st. couple there's a couple
1: left um like they're all Do, does 82nd have like a like a, any individual men that are specifically like venerated like that?
0: Yeah and th- there's some really cool pictures of them at reunions and it's the black and white photo on the left of them all in their gear and then the color photo years later yeah. in the plane together. Um it's just it's th- they're absolutely incredible they're the definition of heroes. Um so we got to the, get these guys in HBO show.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what, the, what the hell? The hundred first stole, stole all the glory. On, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, and thank you, Stephen A. Ambr- e. Ambrose. Or Ambrose, I can't remember that guy. Steve Ambrose. Steve uh, Ambrose. Steve Ambrose yeah. 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 I I only my my only reference to the military is via movies. So just like get totally right into that. fair. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Which is
1: kind of like so. Let's it, talk about that. I mean, like, did, does it bother you that like we don't have any? Like, I don't know any of these things. Yeah. And we don't know anything about the military. The my, most of my uh, access to the military is yeah. Through movies and like through watching flyovers of football games and sure. stuff. And this insane like reverence, but then this insane like remove that we have, um, like what is your feeling on that? And like, does, is there, do you think there's a general feeling on that remove? I think it's a huge problem.
0: And I think that just the fact that we're talking about it, you know, is success. And if you look at where Lenny and I grew up in suburban Chicago, nobody joins the military. Um, it's it's tiny. Um even New York City, um, especially Manhattan, um, is very you know, small. And these these, you know, coastal centers, the LA's, the New Yorks, the, you know, to an extent, um Chicago, people don't join. They don't know somebody that's joined. We can Lenny and I graduated with a high school class of eight hundred and seventy-eight kids and we can name everybody that joined the military from the class. It's probably less than ten people. Um and it's it was just very um rare to to see that. Um it wasn't something that we talked about at school. Yeah. Um, No, there was no career option. Yeah. And uh and because of that there's just a an absolute ignorance. Um and I I think about what you obviously the war kind of forced um the military into on the T V and into people's lives. But can you imagine if we hadn't fought a war and we kept um you know, 1970, 1990 levels of military service, it'd be it'd be even smaller. And yeah. I th- I think that if that continues, you know, like we're going to get to a point where you have truly a warrior class. Um, it is very hereditary, where somebody serves, and then their children serve, and yeah. their children serve, and then it gets incestuous because guys marry their friends' sisters or. Um, you know, you marry your commander's daughter, or wh- whatever yeah. it is. You know, you're on these um, these isolated posts yeah. in Central Georgia or Central North Carolina or yeah. wherever it is. Um, and the, the Army's even worse than that uh, because the Marines have some cool posts in um, San Diego yeah. or in in Jacksonville, North Carolina, where it's at least you know close to um, some exciting spots. There's not a, not a whole lot going on. Around a lot of army bases in Watertown, New York. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, except, like, <laughs> yeah, like, so you're, just you're
2: in like army. T- you're not civilian adjacent, like you would be in Jacksonville or San Diego, or right? Whatever. Exactly. Yeah, they, I mean, get, because
0: there's no yeah. You know, there's no coasts or anything around there, so it it really risks. And, and it's something that Brac. You know, there's a lot of good things about uh, Brac, which is the the base realignment um, that happened in the '90s, and you know, a lot of political infighting about you know trying to keep bases open in different political.
2: Um, yeah. Uh, well, so yeah big political football. yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly big representatives from Watertown, New York is like, you please don't take our only like, economy. right yeah. <laughs> um,
0: And uh, but the outcome of that was that so much of it of these military bases are basically relegated to you know small cutoff areas across the country. And most people don't have exposure to that. Um, as a, as a way of life, I, I had friends come down and visit me and they're like, oh my gosh, this is a little city. Like people have no concept yeah. of what it's actually like, of yeah. of living on a base. I think everybody's surprised how normal it is. We have PXs and commissaries, which are just like Walmarts yeah. and uh, grocery stores, but you know, there's another thing too, is that let's say you, you take four Bragg and I, and I don't know the numbers, but let's say you have 25,000 active duty soldiers. Like if you have a wife and two kids, um, you know, plus or minus, you have a hundred thousand people on yeah. that base. So most of them on the base aren't soldiers. Yeah, um, yeah. and they have lives and a whole you yeah. know social structure around that too. Yeah. So it's just it's it's so foreign to people, and I, I think that that is what's scary. I heard that
1: the military, separately from what you said before, but I heard that the military is getting more affluent in terms of the people that are actually enlisted. Really? Is okay. that is that your experience at all? From what it wasn't like, for example, in in like Vietnam, the trope was that like the people that go are the people that can't avoid getting drafted. Sure. And now that it's not, now it's not that. Now it's more like now that I think that they're probably now that there is no draft. You mm-hmm. know, it's people that are electing to go. Uh, it makes sense to me. I mean, that is a stat that I saw. I don't know. I don't know that if it's still true or not. But it makes sense to me from the sense that like uh, it probably also selects from people that not only um, uh, are ideologically or culturally aligned with it, but people that, like, you know, one of the big kind of questions in society right now is, like, who feels like they have a stake in it? Who feels like they, you know, want to defend it? Um, you know, the the idea of the police is, like, a politicized thing now, right? Yeah. And so the people that feel like they want to do that are probably going to be people that are more affluent.
0: Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. I think that at least you know, over the last eight years or so, the economy in general has improved, um, so I think that you're going to see, you know, increases in you know, general um, people going into the military. But um, I think that um, you certainly see, especially since 9/11, you have a lot of people that came from upper middle class backgrounds. Very, very few of the you know, children of the one percent um, they exist, and, and some of them have joined. Um, but the the upper middle class, we're talking that you know your dad makes 150 thousand dollars a year, right. and you're you're still pretty patriotic. Um, your, grandfather, your grandfather served or something like that. There's some uh, connection there um, and you have seen definitely an increase there which is going to pull up the um, bottom. The other thing too is that we joined uh, a military in 2006 It was very different from that of the 80s or the 90s, um, the Cold War, and then the, the peace years uh, in the 1990s. We knew exactly what we were getting into, yeah. and you, you didn't go because you wanted to get an education and, and not to serve. Um, you It was very clear what the outcome was going to be. All of us thought we were going to Iraq, um, yeah. and then it, it, it ended um, in 2010 um, before it started again. But... You know, whether it was Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere else that we, we didn't know right. um, we were prepared. Um, and that, that really um, focused things when we were in school. Can you, can you
1: briefly talk just to, just to finish the story about where you actually did serve, can you talk about where you then got deployed to?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I graduated Ranger school in March of 2013. I had about a, um, a year of training um, at Fort Bragg after uh Um, Ranger school graduation, and then in February of 2014, I deployed uh, to Afghanistan with um, uh, 1st Brigade, um, uh, I'm sorry, 2nd Brigade uh, 2504, um, the 204th Parachute Infantry Regiment. So, um, in the 82nd Airborne Division, um, went over, and we were basically the last combat deployment of the Afghan war. Um, and yeah, and now everybody, um, we, we have, we've just committed more troops, um, to Afghanistan, um, fairly recently. Um, it it shows no signs of slowing or stopping. And I I think we've learned our mistake from Iraq that if we disengage too quickly or, or too fully, we, uh, risk losing all of the positive things we've done on the ground. Do
1: you want them to commit more than 4,000 troops?
0: Um, you know, like we'll wait and see um fighting season is very real. It basically starts in April and ends in September um depending on the region but um by and large, that is when um the the vast majority of the firefights happen, so we'll see um I trust our generals and I have full faith and trust in general mattis to control that as, at the- at that level yeah. so
2: is that is that does that extend to everyone else? Absolutely not. I think okay. a lot of them are idiots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he's special. Okay. I think
0: that a hundred years from now, people are going to think he's special too. Um, we have had a failure of high level military leadership, especially in Iraq, um, some in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, there's also been some incredible leaders. Um, and um, I am a fan of Petraeus, I'm a big fan of Stanley McChrystal. Um, I've gotten to meet both of them. They're just incredible military leaders, and they saved lives with what they did. Um, but the issue um, that I think is that there was never continuity of strategy. There, there there, was continuity of strategy, but it wasn't executed. There's you know, you know, know, the accusation we fought, 13 one-year wars. Um, and um, it, I think it's something that we've struggled with since Vietnam is how we um, – what is political? What is military? We're phenomenal at fighting battles. We consistently win. There, you know, even in Vietnam, we won the Tet Offensive militarily. Um, but how do we put that together to a, a congruent strategy? How, how do you win a war these days? Even you know, the Syrian forces with Hezbollah, with Iran, uh, Iran's Revolutionary Guard, and Russian air support and advisors on the ground haven't fully taken back the country like we don't know the world doesn't know what winning looks like basically since uh, World War II even Korea was a stalemate um, if you look at um, you know people oh well we won the Gulf War but we didn't like, even yeah. get into Baghdad yeah, yeah. so um, we're, we we got to Baghdad in 23 days that to me is a win um, yeah. if we would have stopped then you know who knows
1: yeah for, but yeah. but I mean I, it seems like part of the problem, though, is that the it is so ill-defined what winning looks like, and it's so cultural in nature. Sure, like to actually affect the, the change that you want in on the ground in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yep, that like it doesn't it become. I think the problem is that it's not just military. If it was just military, it'd be no no issue. But it's one of nation building and stuff, and it's basically trying to do something that has never been achieved yet. Yep. So, wouldn't that lead you then to say that like giving up that attempt is is the smart change of course
0: giving up what attempt
1: like trying to fight the war basically
0: no absolutely not Um, because as soon as we stop evil prospers and we saw that in the 1990s and we can say oh these were the greatest times and they appeared to be but what was happening you had al-qaeda training in Afghanistan completely um, unmolested you had training camps sprouting up in in Somalia you had Saddam Hussein gassing and his own population um in the kurds and some of his uh, sheer um rivals like if we disengage from the world stage and that's something that i'm I'm worried about going forward uh with this administration is that if we step back either nobody steps in or China Iran Russia do and that's what's dangerous is that i I truly believe that we are a force for good in the world um, and we're so far from perfect but we're by far the closest thing, and with our allies, the British, the Canadians, and the Australians were the best hope for the world.
1: So let me ask you then, kind of generalize this question a little bit, because like I was reading a book about Abraham Lincoln once, and it, and he had the support of a lot of ex-Union troops because they basically wanted to see the war effort finished, out, and won, and it was just mind blowing that, especially in such a like in in such a brutal war as the Civil War, that people that had actually seen combat would be the ones that would want to continue fighting it and it made me start to wonder like what is the mindset of someone who has seen combat and yet wants to continue it you've seen combat and I now have. you're arguing for the same thing what do you think the reason is
0: i think that it's principles i think that you know war is a is a nasty thing um I, for me you know i've i've been in firefights i've seen people shot and killed um the the thing that sticks with me the most and i've talked to veteran friends is the smell And it's just incredible. It's very visceral, um, whether it's burning flesh or whatever it is. It's it's just incredible. And it's something that I hope that the vast swaths of the population never, ever have to experience. Um, But – I believe that what we're doing in Afghanistan is right. When you see little girls, you know, march off to school and learn. And if you look at some of the statistics, it's absolutely incredible. If you look at female literacy, if you look at general um, school population, if you look at, you know, females driving, you know, we're giving, like that to me is freedom. I'm excited to see women drive in Saudi Arabia. It's, you know, way too late um, in the game. Like it's uh, one of the, my favorite pictures is two Bahraini, Um, pilots, uh, female pilots, land their 747 in Riyadh and then not be able to drive to (laughs) the hotel. Um, It's just absolutely incredible. And, you know, we're so lucky here. And I I think that there's, we argue over some really silly things. um, And some of the the debates that we have are so minuscule um, with the fact that, you know, people still can't, Drive, half of a population can't drive in a major country. You know, homosexuals are thrown off buildings yeah, um, yeah. and stoned, um, and that like it, it puts a, a cake debate um, really in perspective yeah, because yeah. You know, like people here generally have unbelievable freedoms and opportunities, uh, and that's not the case. You know, I'm I'm sure that you guys have traveled enough to see third world poverty. Um, it's it's a level that we can't even explain uh, that we can't even understand here um and that's where i you know it's it's sad that we have to resort to warfare we're a, a very flawed um species um but i think that a lot of people think that and it's basically what we were told growing up that you know we had won the cold war violence was over um and it turns out it's not and until the chinese the Iranians, the Russians, and every other evil person decides that violence is over, it won't be, and you're going to need good people to be willing to do it. I
2: wouldn't necessarily, I, w- I wouldn't say the Chinese are evil. <laughs> I mean, we could disagree about that, but I'm also, well then, I'm sorry. Well, I, don't, I, don't so think, I, I don't think the Chinese people are evil. I don't yeah. think
0: that Iranian people are evil. I think yeah. there's, the vast majority of them are good, yeah. and they care about their children, and they care about prosperity. I think that their governments absolutely are.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, so let me, let me ask you this then. So you've seen, I mean, everything wrong with government, I think, probably also reflects somewhat in, like, in bureaucracy in terms, in the military, right? Like, I'm sure you've seen waste, fraud, and abuse. Uh, <laughs> at levels you would never <laughs> understand. Yeah. Excellent. And, 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 and mismanagement and bureaucracy and stuff, and, and needless bureaucracy probably. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it seems like on some level, being a part of the military to any capacity would make you less sort of, um, and I'm not going to call you naive, but less like naively uh, subscribed to the government and like the aims of the government and stuff like that. Sure. And yet, uh, then on, but on this massive level, you do still see like a very binary divide between like, our fight and the enemies that stand in the way of, of what our fight is, even though our fight like changes very frequently.
0: So I think that, um, obviously, as a proponent of small government, that um, you know, the, the government that's closest is best, the government that governs least is the best, um, that you, you have to separate military spending um, and other functions. We need to hold military leaders and politicians accountable for government spending in all, um, in all cases. And I think that Republicans especially often give a pass to military spending the way that they would look at it if it was being spent in education or if it was being spent in social services. Um, I, I think that what the army does well is you know, bravery, um, what the military does well. And I think that a lot of people are cowards. Um, just generally weak and scared people. And it's very, very difficult to tell somebody that they're being wasteful, that they are being um, inefficient if you're not willing to do that. Um, and that's something that I've talked to conservatives about, that I've talked to liberals about, is that you know there's no argument. That you, can't, you can't say, well, my group isn't well-represented in the military because it's a completely um, volunteer organization. And it is and i have worked in major corporations i've i've done small businesses i've been in the military i've been to a diverse high school and a you know a a, a diverse in a different way military academy the military is the least racist the least anti you know the the bigot. least bigot, everything really merit based kind of it, it is and that's yeah, something yeah. and that's something that um and I would argue that because it's merit based, the yeah. racism goes away because yeah. you know everyone's being held to a standard that is very finite, that is universal, and you can hack it or you can't. And your buddy left or right of you, regardless of color, religion, sexual preference, can hack it or you can't. Right. And you see, wow, you know, all these people are different can do it. And guess what? A lot of them can't. Um, And there's just as many, you know, you know, guys in the recycle line that are white, Hispanic, black, whatever. And the people that make it through, you can trust, you can lean on, you're in these tough situations with, you're in firefights with. um, And my platoon that I went to Afghanistan with was wildly diverse. We had a kid from the Bronx who was my driver. We had African-Americans. We had, you know, born again Christians. We had Everything um, we had a, a Muslim uh, uh, sergeant who has since graduated from Ross Business School and does investment banking it's absolutely incredible um, and it, it didn't matter um, so I, I think that you know, that is what's what's inherently good about the military
1: I, I this kind of ties back in with the question too about like the divide between the civilians and the military because I always get a kick out of um, whenever I see uh, these like guides to leadership based on military principles and it's like I'm sure that the military knows a lot about leadership but I think that it also is built for people that have gone through a crucible of experience together or that need to go through a crucible of experience together that is just not replicable in like a Business setting, or like if you're trying to run an effective meeting, you know, yeah, and the and like that's what most of us think the military is like. That's our connection with it, you know. Yeah, Um, yeah,
0: you're you're absolutely right. Like I I can't like take my coworkers out. Um, for like three days and like bring, you know, three meals yeah, and, exactly. you and, and, stay and sleep up or, out. Like, yeah. like you
2: got for one of those days. You have to be up for like 24 hours. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and here's like four M M4s too. Like yeah, yeah. I was just imagining some like the, the people on my team carrying those like I, I would be terrified. Um, <laughs> but no, you're right. And that's a question that I have for you guys is that I think we all agree that there is a disconnect. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that you think that that's a problem.
1: Um, how what are your suggestions to fix that i mean my my feeling on it is that it is totally a problem i see it more from the perspective of like i think that we enter into bad policy because of it though and but the the thing that's interesting is that the bad policy that i attribute to uh, our remoteness from the military is similar to the policy that you're advocating that we continue you know like i would assume that if more people had Their sons and daughters on the front line, we would be engaged in like less
2: adventurism, for example. Sure. Um, Well, that's what. Yeah, that's what. So, you know, Chris, you can tell me why I'm wrong with this, but I've participated in national service in the lamest way possible by serving in AmeriCorps.
0: It's very (laughs) very real too, and I've friends that have done Peace Corps. Yeah, Peace Corps service. But well, that's
2: the thing is that I. I, no, you're correct. It's the of play possible. It's the of all the ones. I mean, it goes Americorps, Peace Corps, and then like the white leagues I, ahead. Peace Corps is way cooler than Americorps. Well, so you didn't see my nobody. I mean, this is not a visual medium, but the Peace Corps was higher up on the scale that like uh, that I had made with my hand. Right. I've had friends that were teachers in Memphis or in
0: Atlanta, and the, yeah. I think they're heroes. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible.
2: Um, but so that's that's all well and good. But my point being is that I. Uh, My radical idea for solving maybe or bridging this disconnect is doing some kind of uh, mandatory service or mandatory national service, kind of like what they do in Israel where they have to – it's like no matter who you are, you're a U.S. citizen, you got to go do – or in their case, Israeli citizen, you have to go do this. And you can pick one of those lanes. You can pick AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, or, you know, Army, uh, Marine Corps, Air Force, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but is that, is that a horrible idea? Or is that I think it's, I think it's terrible. <laughs> um, so you don't like the idea of a mandatory draft? Not drafted. at
1: all.
0: Yeah. Um, not, not, I don't like the idea of a draft. Um, and I don't like an idea of a mandatory year of service or too because I think, about my, I think about my mom and every single morning when I woke up, I had to make my bed. Yeah. And I did. Mm-hmm. And did I make my bed because I wanted to make my bed? Absolutely not. I made yeah. my bed because my mom wanted me to make my bed. And if you're doing a year of service because the government's telling you, you have to do it, you're not serving. You're doing what somebody's telling you to do. Yeah. Service at its core has to be driven by the individual right. to make it service. Whether it's me, you know, going to church and, and working in a soup line, whether it's me um, donating money, whether it's me joining the military doing a a a year in the Peace Corps or in mm-hmm. the AmeriCorps, whatever the service is it has to come from that individual as soon as it is think about think about community service think about you're literally given a a ruling from a judge that you have to go help at a library for yeah. 50 for <laughs> that kind 50 of community hours. service yeah, is, yeah. is that at a party community service yes <laughs> <laughs> is that service like yeah. no yeah. it's it's you it's, being told to do something it's like in forced it's, labor yeah. it's yeah. like state forced labor yeah exactly yeah. yeah um and and that's I, I think it's incredible when people do it um and i have equal respect for people that serve in um, those capacities, just the way that I do for for doctors and nurses and some of these other, you know, careers that are based in service. Yeah,
2: and I, I agree with you. I actually – I I there's also the argument that it's like sometimes for some people, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, not, probably not the West Point people. The, those people are probably in good shape. But like for some people, the uh, trouble kids that go into the Army or Marines or whatever get kind of straightened out and become – like functioning sure. so members of society. Absolutely. We, we, had they not had that route, they would have been criminals, or or, or some or something like, or they would have been Sometimes like. Sometimes they're both. they were bo- Or both. Yeah. and yeah, I guess it's not a panacea. It's I, just I heard, that. and I won't.
1: I won't ask you to comment on this, but I heard that Fort Hood was like Fort Hood, and uh, that like it was the site of a lot of crime because people uh, basically ended up reconstituted, unreconstituted there. Oh, really? It's,
0: it's not specific to Fort Hood. There is crime around every military base, and, um, oh, and in. Iraq, you saw porta potties with Chicago gang signs, Um, like, and just because somebody you know makes it through military, there's always like, there's a risk. This is the real shot, Iraq. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, seriously, (laughs) and there's there's a risk that gangs were sending guys through military training to learn techniques, to learn TTPs, to oh, learn, right. you know, room clearing that they could bring back because military is really good at teaching horsemanship. Yeah. They're really good at teaching tactics. Yeah. And if you can bring that back to the streets, um, it, of any urban center, especially the risk. same weapons when you get back as you had, when you were in the military, you, you, <laughs> you can get just about, well, at least the, the small arms, you can get them. And you're right. It straightens out a lot of guys, um, in the Marine Corps, in the army, whatever it is. But, I think that it straightens them out because they chose to be there. And I don't think that it would straighten out a random person you picked off the streets that doesn't want to be there. Um, The question is, how do we encourage service in our youth, in our um, high school kids? How do we get them to a point where they want to join the military, that they want to teach for America, that they want to do whatever that is that they want to give back? Um, I, I think that's whether it's scouting, whether it's religious groups, whatever it is, it has to start earlier than a decision you make when you're 18 years old.
2: Um, I, I actually was, so I had a little bit of different, I felt like the military, I was actually, I was int- very interested in military stuff and I, I, I worked at a pharmacy in high school and a Marine recruiter came and I was like, Oh yeah. And I gave, I was 17 and I gave them my information and then my, like they got to my, through my I had a telephone at the house at the time again, and it went through my mom and my mom just dissuaded it. Cause I grew up in Westchester County. I sure. went to private, I went to private high school and it was the Iraq war. I'm a year older than you guys. So it was like the Iraq war had just started essentially and was getting like all the news was hundred percent bad. And so she was just like, uh, no, I don't want you to do that. It's like, you you should go to school and all that stuff. And that's when I initially looked at the West Point thing, and I was like, forget it. I'll just go to them and drive vans with Lenny. Um, but I guess, I, like, service, I think, I, to answer your question about service, I just... Um, so I did... I was lacking that. And then after school, I did... I went for... I uh, worked for the Bloomberg administration. Yeah. We worked for an initiative called NYC Service, which is supposed to get more New Yorkers volunteering and participating and stuff. And I have mixed feelings about it. Um, one of the best things was, though, like, or one of the more rewarding things was actually... When we were, it wasn't the army, but it was national guard, or I guess it was army national guard. I don't know how how the national guard is yep. broken up now. Yeah, but, but by uh, by service. Yeah, but and uh, but the army national guardsmen who came and part like I helped coordinate while Hurricane Sandy was going on a lot of like the volunteer efforts that cool. were going on. And uh, the National Guardsmen were awesome, and I was like, these guys—I I had never—I I, similar to, I guess, like there—I didn't know that there was these other options too. Like there, oh, like yeah. I don't think there. Were, and you described a couple routes to the military before that. I, like I think that was my my gap to service or service yeah. in the uh, like was this, like, oh okay, there's this, like all these different other ways that you could serve in this. And the National Guardsmen were awesome. There were guys who were just like, like one of the coolest people, like. Anything they were very coordinated, very smart, and also like re, like easy to talk to. Like in a very stressful situation, they're yeah. just kind of like like eh, yeah, that's cool, man. We got it. Like and I was like, I'm freaking. Out. I'm you know 24 years old and they're like oh, we have to get like the food to the yeah. thing, <laughs> <And> sir, <laughs> sir. Yeah. And he's like, all right, man. Like take it easy. And I think that, yeah.
0: that is you know, part of it relates directly to what we are talking to about this civilian military divide. If you have people. Because that's what it is it's a yeah. collection of people yeah. and, and tools, but at its core it's people and if you know them and if you've like you have seen them interact in regular life, if you've seen them you know be normal people, um, that's what we used to when we'd come down to New York City from West Point people always ask what we what we did. We said we've worked for the the largest organization that that builds schools and hospitals in third world countries, <laughs> and it's absolutely true. Yeah. And it completely changed the narrative. And yeah. before you know it, NYU students want to be your friend yeah. and they think that it's fascinating about what you're doing and, and what could this organization be. Yeah, um, and it's not until later when they friend you on Facebook, they find out that you're actually in the army, right? Um, but you're absolutely right, and you know most of what we were doing was building good governance, was supporting Afghan police and soldiers. the The firefights were, you know, even at their most regular, you know, never the majority of our time, and that's where you know we were doing a lot of stuff that realistically the State Department or maybe some uh, you know, U.S. AID um, or you know, some other uh, NGO could do. But at the end of the day, because of the security situation, it falls on the military, the reserves, the army reserves, or the, yeah. marine reserves, or the national guard is probably you know as close as it gets to a middle ground. Yeah, and it's a really good and really natural um, transition um, point or like education point because those most of those guys are, are regular guys throughout yeah. the week. I was talking to one, he's like, yeah, I work at Subway. Well, yeah, that's the what week. they were all like. Um, they were
2: just like, "There's like, yeah, this is actually like, I work in, I work as an EMT or something like that." Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot yeah.
0: of them are police and fire, yeah, yeah. Um, but some of them work in. I talked to one guy who worked at Snapple and at corporate, like, like the Fact most writer. diverse, yeah. the the most, yeah, um, the most diverse jobs that you can yeah. have. And then they put a uniform on the weekend. They're in the communities. Um, nowadays, they're not deploying the way that they were during you know, the the surge during oh seven oh eight uh and they're generally here for the communities a lot of them join because they want to be part of disaster relief they want to be part of um their communities and and help and serve and that they're you're right they're very accessible generally and they're they're just like your your neighbor down the street
1: so to to that to that theme then um what is it like then if you're trying to get what like once you discharge then and it's time to just, like come go do something else. Um, there's a lot of like talk about how difficult that is, and the thing that's confusing to me is that you come from an organization that tr- trains you to a. Um, is, it, it seems like to me, follow instructions. Like sure. like you're 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 there to execute things, and so you're a good and like without very high motor at at that, and then also you actually have like skills that are like very. like they pertain to everything i mean they're like problem solving skills and stuff so what is the challenge then that so many like soldiers and other military service people encounter when they're trying to transition back to civilian life sure so i think that's
0: exactly everything we've talked about
1: tonight um
0: so do you know what an armor officer does no no do you know what uh an enlisted mortarman does
1: you they mortar uh drop mortars in in the
0: (laughs) mortar yep (laughs) um Anything else they do? Was it armor tanks? Uh, armor tanks.
1: And uh, uh, <laughs> they uh, shout clear, and then <laughs> I don't know.
0: They also fire in the hole. Yeah. They also bring those um, to the battlefield. There's several different motor systems that they're all trained with. They coordinate um, indirect fire with artillery with direct fire. They have to be aware of. Um, different echelons of drones or aircraft flying over, the deconfliction of airspace is unbelievable. And, and, and you're trusting guys to do this that are you know, young, that have you know, only a, a certain, a, a, often a, a low amount of time in the service. It's absolutely incredible. But you can take you know, the thousands of MOSs, the military occupational specialties that are in every branch um, in the military, and people don't know what they can do. What they did do, um, and it's it's an education problem on the half on the ha- behalf of the um American public. and I, I was just as guilty of this twelve years ago when I went to the recruiting station and said, "Hey, how does this work? I, I had no idea. Um, and you uh, know, I, mean, I always kick around, you know, is it a is it a a semester long high school class that's taught? Um, in every high school during you know, first semester junior year, um, that teaches you the ranks that, and maybe make it a, a service class, yeah. and maybe that's the mandatory yeah. part of it to at least expose people because a lot of people say oh well if I would have known this you know maybe I would have yeah. done it maybe I would have you know joined the Peace Corps yeah um
2: and, like Amer- and American service is part of like your social studies or yeah it was like co- yeah, like yeah, a government yeah. class like yeah. whatever it is yeah um yeah.
0: and I, and we
1: didn't have a civics class at our uh, i don't school. think i don't think it's very often taught anywhere um, i taught I, I took ap government excuse me <laughs>
2: no. but it's not standard i mean like yeah, it, you know per,
1: personal finance isn't standard civics isn't standard and, and certainly nothing that actually exposes you to the intricacies of the the military or anything else for that matter yeah. i mean there's a lot of things that the kids don't know are available think think about if you did a a civics class first semester of junior year and a personal
0: finance class second semester how yeah. I'd be a rich army guy. Right. Yeah. Um like it's just like and that's something that we struggle with is in a whole education system is preparing people for the, the real world. I think there's oh, yeah. no, you know, arguments about that. And that that could be a whole other podcast. Um But it why not expose people to a variety of services? It doesn't have to be military, it doesn't have to be government, it doesn't have to be you know religious, whatever it is. Let's expose people to that. If you're unwilling to exp- expose people to ideas, you're, your position is invariably weak and you know, indefensible. So you get that information in front of people and then let them decide. I, I think that it would, it would be good for the country to have a basis of knowledge. And then to everything we were talking about earlier, I think that people would be more comfortable critiquing the military or the government if they had a better understanding about it. If there's one thing that I think is absolutely universal is people's fear of looking stupid. And because of that, people are silent on issues because you know, the, the whole adage that you don't want to open your mouth and, and prove that you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, and then you, because of that, you have the the 5% of the dumbest people that are doing all the talking, and that's what internet comments are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... If you give people that baseline of knowledge, like it has to be more than movies. Yeah. Um, and if I know both of you have read military history, yeah. Um, yeah. that's that's not um, everybody's experience either. That's true. Um, and I think I think you guys have a, a better um, understanding than the average person. But if we don't start teaching people earlier about our government, and of which the military is obviously uh, an important part. Um, we're gonna continue to repeat these failures over and over again, and we can point each other's favorite, We can point our fingers. We can blame political parties, mm-hmm. but we're gonna we're gonna fail if people don't know what they should.
2: Mm. Amen. Hey, preach. Um, everybody should know what I know. <laughs> that's that's my. Well, that's why you're doing these podcasts. I know. Right? That's why you got to get this stuff down. That's my whole. That, that's the whole idea. Or is it, um, But
1: out of curiosity, is there a good Afghanistan movie?
0: Um, so it's not an Afghanistan movie, um, but I, and some of my military friends will kill me for saying this, but I really like Hurt Locker. Um, and it also is, um, wildly inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the scene that sticks out for me is the, uh, when this, you know, American, um, EOD this uh, explosive ordnance um, squad, um, like basically takes sniper rifles from British SAS, which are, you know, Arguably, some of the best trained and, and yeah. most lethal soldiers on the planet, and then basically does what they couldn't do and taking out targets you know, thousands of yards away. It's just absolutely absurd. Uh, we had, <laughs> um, I will say that EOD guys, um, we had one um, with our company. By far, the craziest, bravest. Oh, I... no, like, you have to be, ins- like, I try to stay away as far as possible <laughs> oh, from bombs it. and from yeah. IEDs and from booby traps, everything. Those guys run to it and they're they're kicking it, they're poking it with sticks. They're like, oh no, this won't blow. Like, it's wild. They're incredible. It's if you want to talk about like people being crazy to join something, like, that's EOD. Yeah. Um. But like, thank God for them. They've saved thousands of lives overseas. Um. But like, with that said, what I like about Hurt Locker and it's the scene where this guy has um a a suicide vest Mm. put on him and you don't know if Mm. he put it on him, if somebody else did, if, if he really does have a son that, um, and that he needs to be saved. And I think that that really is almost a metaphor for the war on terror because it's incredibly difficult and we never have perfect information. And we can talk about Clausewitz and the fog of war. Um, it's real. Um, Mm. you don't, there, we, we had a, um, a 12-year-old who is on a phone um, or on a radio um, reporting our troop movements, we thought. And we had full um, authorization that we could you know, basically target people that were that, – that's a military action is reporting right. troop movement because we could be going in an ambush, et cetera. And I remember the call. It came to me and said, Hey, sir, do you want to take out this uh, this this soldier, this you know enemy fighter? Um, and then we, we looked at him, we got binos on and, you know, was it a cell phone? Was it right. a, a walkie talkie? You can't tell from yeah. 500, 600 yards away. Um, and we decided not to, I decided not to take him out that day and nothing happened. And, yeah. um, I am glad, you know, yeah. maybe it was a walkie talkie, maybe it was a toy, like you don't know. Um, and Things easily could have gone the other way. He could have reported our movements. We could have hit an ID and and been attacked, you know, that day and and lost people. And then I would have had to live with that. Um, It's hard. It's really, really difficult. And you don't know what right looks like ever. Not occasionally. You you never know what it looks like. You can talk about what winning looks like. You can talk about, you know, what progress or success looks like. It's really hard. Um, And that's where um, you have to be confident in your abilities. I was infinitely confident in the men who served alongside me um, and that um, made things easier. But I think that that movie does a good job of portraying to the public um, what psychologically it's like. Um, And there's just decisions that I make now at the bank that I make in my day-to-day life that will never compare to life or death situations that were commonplace, that were a daily event there yeah. do, you,
1: do you miss it at all absolutely
0: um like i um it's
2: living it's it's, you, it's you've got to be the most relaxed person at jp Morgan Chase. you yeah, like, no, whatever yeah. it's like it doesn't matter like it's like look there's been way worse days in my life yeah, no and, that, and, yeah. and that's why that's
0: why you get along with the veteran community yeah. so well there is that it's so good at keeping things in perspective yeah um because it's at the end of the day it's money yeah. um and nobody's gonna die yeah. um and it it helps with decision-making because a lot of people don't see the bigger space it's not just the bank it's you know everyday interactions and it does do a really good job of, of keeping life in perspective because it is so fleeting
1: yeah all right that's a good place to leave it um, Chris thanks you so much for joining Chris from McCall.
2: call uh, Brian you have something to plug don't you I do, but actually now, based on the, like the this, gravitas of what, of what we just about. talked about, pipping my improv theater is <laughs> yeah. not a good idea. Uh, but do, it at
0: the, do it at the beginning. I know. <laughs> yeah. well,
2: the Brooklyn Comedy Collective is coming back to Brooklyn, or is, is starting <laughs> in Brooklyn. Uh, we're starting doing shows. I'll, I'll pimp it on the next one, but everyone go to Brooklyn, brooklyncc.com, Brooklyn Comedy Collective. Uh, and Brian, you want, Brian, you're you're a real hero too. Yeah, I, I want to get Chris to sign up for an improv class. I, <laughs> oh, I, I want to get like I think we should get we should we should extend it. Maybe if we got more military guys into improv, it would be like that would be a good way to get people <laughs> knowing about <laughs> the service. You're gonna yeah. see some really really dark since I know humor. that's what I was gonna say. It could go really. It could, <laughs> that could take a hard left turn at any point, <laughs> <laughs> or a right one, <laughs> or, <good>, or right, a <laughs> right or right. left or right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or yeah, exactly. All, All right, right we'll we'll there. There. Chris, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks again, Thank you
1: See guys.
0: you guys do baby Ice man Wow. Yeah. I got my mouth looking something like a disco ball. Yeah. I got yeah. the diamonds in the ice. All hands set. I might cause a cold front if I take a deep breath. Oh, really? My teeth gleaming like I'm chewing on the luminous ball. Smile, my diamonds, sipping on some potent oil. Baby. I put my money where my
2: mouth is in bout a grill. 20 cares, 30 stacks. Let them know I'm so for real. Yeah. Yeah. My motivation is them 30 pointers. BBS, the front of Jim. My mouthpiece simply symbolize success. Right. I got the wristwear and neckwear.
0: This captain but it's my so smile that got these on, like a spectating. My mouth be simply certified, a total package open up my mouth, and you see more cats than a salad. My teeth are mind-blowing, giving everybody chills, call me George Flumin, cause I'm selling everybody
2: grills. What you looking at? Uh. Let me see your grill. Let you see my wife. Yeah, you're doing uh. Yeah, you the jewelry store and tell them to make me a grill. She us hey. so